Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. We have been hitting practical theology lately, and the topic this week is the topic of marriage and divorce. What does the Bible say about these things? And so if you missed any of our past broadcasts, just you could subscribe to our our podcast if you go to The Gospel for Life. Um, but today we're dealing with the question of, you know, something that's very hot in our culture today, uh, the whole redefinition of marriage and what marriage is. So here's the question, brothers. Must marriage be between one man and one woman? There's a preliminary question, and that is, do, do you believe that God created marriage and that God in his word has revealed what marriage is? If you believe that, then please listen into the rest of this. If you don't believe that, you, you may not agree with what we're about to say. And, and that's, that's just a, a preliminary foundational assumption that God created marriage and that God's will and intention for marriage is expressed in his word. Um, in an earlier show, I made the statement that the creation of the sexes in Genesis, described in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of the sexes is the creation of marriage. Uh, that when, when God created Eve, he created her for Adam and for a, a marriage bond uh, between the two of them. And in fact, that's expressed at the end of Genesis 1 where it says, in, well, now I'm going to have trouble finding, is somebody in Genesis 1 or 2? Verse sorry, sorry, guys. 7 of 1, right? Yeah, okay. Actually, I'm, I'm at, the, uh, at the end of chapter 2 where after Adam exclaims this at last about Eve, he says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then there's a great big therefore in verse 24, chapter 2 of Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, That is the institution of marriage right there in the second chapter of Genesis. And Jesus reaffirmed this in Matthew 19 when he was asked a question about divorce. And he said, have you not read? Which is kind of a, <laughs> a loaded statement, especially out of the mouth of Jesus. Look, it's in black and white. Have you not read that he who made them made, from the, made them from the beginning, male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, the two become one. So that's what I mean when I say that the creation of the sexes is the creation of marriage, that, that human beings are literally, men and, men and women are literally made for each other. And it's because of the difference between male and female that the two can come together and make one in marriage. To bring together like and like, as in male and male or female and female, thwarts the very definition and purpose of marriage 
and therefore, from a biblical understanding of marriage, cannot be a marriage. This is um, such, Phil has put his finger right on, on the texts that are so vitally important. Genesis 1 and 2 um, clearly talk about male and female, talk about two distinct um, genders um, coming together as one flesh, <laughs> that both will leave fathers and mothers and come to one another, um, and uses um, gender-specific words, male and female. It's important to note that it's those verses that Jesus himself quotes. Jesus is legitimizing Genesis 1 and 2 and saying, haven't you read? You're asking me about, uh, about divorce. Let me take you back to the authoritative text. The reason why we talk like we do is because God has made a declaration, and God has declared that he created male and female for one another, and that this male and this female will leave their fathers and their mothers to unite to one another. So people will talk about, well, Genesis 1 and 2 are not historical. Well, they were to Jesus, and Jesus quotes them authoritatively in the New Testament. And so oftentimes people will say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything. Well, I think really what they're saying is the Bible doesn't say what we want it to say, which is a different, different category. Um, the Bible does say something, and the Bible is written in, in distinct languages, Hebrew and Greek, that make gender distinctions. Right. So this isn't an interpretation. This isn't a translation issue. The translation reflects what was said. And what was said is male and female, two distinct genders coming together in what is a God-defined marriage. Yeah. If, if somebody disputes those things, brothers, that you were just saying, their issue so much is, is not so much with marriage per se. It's with revelation. What is, what is your ultimate standard of truth? Mm-hmm. Christians believe that God has revealed to us his mind and his will for this universe in Holy Scripture. That's one of the things that makes Christians different from every other religion on the earth. We have a divine revelation from God. So if somebody is rejecting the biblical narrative and biblical teaching on marriage, their problem is more with understanding, well, what is your final arbiter and standard of truth? Well, and I think there's also authority involved. It's acknowledgement of what is your standard of truth, but it's also a willingness to submit to that that standard and say, Though this might go against what I want or desire or I want it to say, yeah. I'm still going to submit to it. There are hard things in the Word of God that rub against my own sinful nature yeah. that is really hard um, to submit to at times. Yeah. That doesn't change the reality of truth, and it doesn't change the authority of that truth. Yeah. It just affects my own sinfulness to say, yes, I know it's true. And yes, I'm willing to submit. Yep. And, and by the way, when the Bible was first written, when, let's take Genesis 1 and 2. When these, when these words were first written, uh, there were alternative understandings of the world. And God's word was, was revealed into a, word, into a world that had alternative understandings. For, uh, for instance, there's the ancient uh, Greek myth of the androgen, or sometimes pronounced androgyne, uh, and this was the Greek myth that uh, the original human being was this sexless uh, being that combined both male and female elements. And in this understanding, in this mythology, 
the fall, if you will, was when the original androgyne, this, this uh, combination of male and female, was arbitrarily split in two to make a male and a female. Okay? So in that understanding, human beings being male and female is not part of the original intention. It's not part of the original ideal. Mm. The Bible tells us something very different. Yeah. That, that human beings as male and female is God's good creation from the beginning. That's right. It's, it's God's goodwill. And God's goodwill, and remember this is pre-fall, before any sin comes into the world, it's God's good intention that the man and the woman uh, come together as husband and wife, the, the, two, the two become one, or as the Bible puts it, the two become one flesh. Yeah. Just note that the, the context, God created man in his own image, Genesis one twenty seven. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Well, what's the next verse? And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Mm-hmm. The only combination that can be fruitful and multiply is male and female. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Female, female doesn't work. Male, male does not work. Yeah. There's only one combination in which the next command, after God said, I've created them in my image, Male and female, I've created them. I'm going to bless them and say, give them a command. Be fruitful and multiply. You can try to slice this banana any way you want to, but there's only one way to fulfill the command of God, and that's according to the design of God. And so context matters in, in our interpretation, and the context of this is God blesses, God commands, and the only way that command can be fulfilled is according to his design, which is male and female, one man, one woman. So, Kate, on that idea of the oneness, so one man, one woman, not two men, one woman, or not one man, three women. So then we have some issues then in the Old Testament because uh, polygamy, even amongst men who are held up in Hebrews 11 as heroes of the faith was rampant, not just in you know Gentile uh, nations, but it was also rampant in, in Israel itself. So how do we deal with the Old Testament when you, know, you have guys like David who had multiple wives or Solomon? How, how do we, does, did, did God change his mind? Was God winking at this? What, what was going on? Well, one of the things that you see throughout history is that God accommodates his work of grace in the world to human brokenness and human sinfulness. Uh, there's, there's only one humanity that God has, has to work with, and that's the fallen kind. And so um, God in his mercy accommodates his work in the world to broken human beings. Uh, polygamy, as far as I can tell in, in the Old Testament, Polygamy is frequently reported. It is almost never blessed uh, of God. The only, the only instance I can think of where, where polygamy is actually ordained by God, blessed by God, is what's called leveret marriage, where if a woman, uh, her, her husband dies and she is childless, but she's still of a childbearing age, if her deceased husband has a surviving brother, he is to take her in as a wife and bear children with her. Um, and basically because in the ancient world, children are your social security. Uh, you'd be bereft 
uh, without without children to care for you in your old age. And polygamy is reported, but it's not reported as being blessed of God. It's just factual. This is what happened. The very first polygamist in the Bible is a guy named Lamech, who is evil, an incredibly wicked individual. If, if I can read from uh, Genesis chapter 4, uh, it says that Lamech took two wives, He's, and this is the first case of polygamy reported in the Bible. Lamech takes two wives, and he says to them, I'm in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 23, uh, Lamech says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Um, he's this murderous individual. Uh, and, and, and once again, his polygamy is reported, but it's not like he's, being, he's a nice guy and God is blessing him. We know from Deuteronomy 17 that David, Solomon, all these kings had done the wrong thing. God clearly commands, this is in a section dealing with commandments to the king, and he, the king, shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. So God clearly commands that the kings are not to have multiple wives, um, and I think Phil is, is correct. Um, what you see throughout all of, of the Old Testament is the negative ramifications of multiplying wives. Um, the scriptures report it, um, and they don't necessarily um, report a moral judgment upon it, but the, the historical context... The and moral the work- judgment already existed. Yes, and the, but the working out of it reveals the sinfulness of it because all of these multiple wife situations always create turmoil within the home. That's right. Um, I don't think you find a, a historical example that con- is contrary to that. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We w- look forward to uh, you listening tomorrow. Oh, <laughs>